Maybe you sent an email. Maybe you were in a broken relationship. Maybe it was a church or at the grocery store or something, and you said one thing, and the person clearly did not understand what you meant. And maybe even some of the greatest conflicts in your life to date are a result of misunderstanding. Well, hey, just so you know, I can empathize with you because I often am misunderstood. Now, here's the primary place that that happens. Every time our family gathers, and it's not every time, but it's like a pretty much every time our family gathers, we play this game called Drawful. Now, it's essentially a souped-up version of Pictionary. How many of you have played Pictionary once or twice? Just throw your hands up so I'm not alone, okay? A lot of us, so I don't feel super bad. But here's what I figured out about Pictionary. I am commonly misunderstood when it comes to Pictionary. Now, I don't know why that is, because I think I'm pretty artistic. And I don't know why that is, because I think I have the ability to read the prompt. But those things are both not clearly true. Because we gathered last night, we circled around after dinner, we played, and everything I drew was just misunderstood. It was like, if you drew a horse, it somehow was a cat. Or if you drew, like, a, a car, it was like, oh, it's a house. Like, they, all the guesses were wrong. And at the end of the first round, I had a whopping zero points. And I was pretty frustrated because I was over and over again misunderstood. And I thought about that last night, and I realized that it's not just in Pictionary that you and I experience the frustration of being misunderstood. Of not truly, maybe even in a conflict conversation, knowing fully what you are intending to say, and it coming out, and you're like, oh, that's not what I meant to say, or you're kind of struggling on the other side of the conflict or the other side of the difficult conversation with really understanding the other person. Often it's not the content of people's words that hurt us, it's the intent that we give to their words that hurt us. And often there's clear misunderstanding in almost every single conflict that you can look at. And here's why I think that is. This is something that you may not recognize about human nature, but I'm going to give you a clue into human nature that maybe you haven't seen yet. It's that understanding is hard work, and most of us never do. Understanding is hard work. When you're in a, a tense or heated conversation, most of us don't do the hard work of understanding the other person first. We jump to saying the truth, or sending them a text, or sending the email, and never really pausing, maybe even for five seconds, maybe five days, to think about, man, I really, I wonder where they're at with this. I wonder what perspective and point of view they're coming from when they say these things, or when I receive that email. And again, you don't have to scroll very far down your Facebook feed to find that a lot of us misunderstand each other on a daily basis. Now, that may be true when it comes to politics. It could be true when it comes to the kind of burger and fries you prefer. It may come down to an actual broken marriage or broken friendship. But all of us know what the external kind of side effects are of being misunderstood. But it's not just on the outside that must misunderstanding traps us. It's on the inside of our soul as well. For some of us, when you've hit a conflict and you haven't done the work to really understand, normally the next conflict you experience, you're going to avoid. You're going to run away. Rather than engage, you escape. Rather than push in and kind of lean in to listen and understand, you, you drive the other person away or maybe you just drop the relationship altogether. Maybe they keep texting you and you just go silent. You avoid. 
brothers of you that manifest with anger. Man, they're not going to do that to me again. I'm going to pay them back. I'm going to make sure they know they can't mess with me or say things like that to me ever again. We get revenge and, and seek vengeance versus a resolution. Now, some of us have asked this question. I've asked this question. Many of us, when it comes to conflict, probably have asked this question. Where do I even start when it comes to resolving conflict? See, last week we talked about the fact that where conflict is resolved, unity is restored. God's design for relationships being one and living in peace and shalom and God's goodness together as God's people is his goal for us. But often we don't live that way. And that's the goal. And so week one, last week, we talked about God's desire. And then the burning question, maybe at the back of your mind, like mine, as you read through Paul's words in Ephesians 4, 1, 2, 3, and 4, is, okay, like, where do I even start? Like, he doesn't know me, I'm not an Ephesian, like, how am I supposed to figure out, how do I start when it comes to resolving conflict? And luckily, Paul doesn't just stop the letter at verse 4. He keeps going, he gives some practical steps for how you and I can learn to resolve conflict in our everyday lives, to become confident and equipped that we can actually live in our relationships like Jesus did and how we commanded. So where do you start? Well, you start with the scriptures, and that's where we're going to start, is to look at what does God's word have to say. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you, you're going to want that out because there's going to be things you may miss if you don't. And if you have a device, you can pull it up there. You can simply Google Ephesians 4, and it'll find it. I'm reading from the NIV. But in verse 17 of chapter 4, here's what Paul is writing to this group of Christians who experience some real conflict. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. For they're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. Not a good rap sheet. Verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind. And to put on the new self, put off the old, put on the new self, which was created for you to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is Paul's writing to the Ephesians in conflict about how to start at resolving conflict, how to start at approaching some of the most difficult and yet precious conversations that you and I encounter in our lives. Some of the, the conversations that can be pivotal in our marriage, that could be influential in our career path, that could be the decision between whether or not we are viewed as a good parent or an absent parent. All of those things boil down to how we respond to conflict. And as you look through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's a couple common themes that you see. And the first, you probably already noticed, is his emphasis right here in Ephesians 4 on the mind. He says it again and again. Look with me. Again, if you take notes, I want you to underline or circle these words because they're important for us to know. In verse 17, he says, I tell you this, and I insist on it, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their what? Their thinking. Their mind. In what they are thinking, there's an error 
in the way that the Gentiles currently are thinking. But he doesn't stop there. Then he goes to verse 18. They are darkened in their, say it with me, understanding. They're darkened in their understanding. And that understanding, because it's so dark, has separated them from life with God. It's led to the hardening of their heart. You keep going. In verse 19, it says that they've lost sensitivity. That's a, that's a mind word. That's a brain word. They've lost the, the ability in their pathways neurologically to identify what God is saying or how he's teaching or how he wants to move in their relationships. They've lost sensitivity. They're darkened in understanding. Their thinking is futile. Their mind is being corrupted. I mean, again and again, Paul's pointing out that they have something flawed within their thinking, with their mind. And that's leading to unresolved conflict among them. It's leading to a lack of peace and a lack of unity and a lack of oneness. And so as you keep looking, you can see, again, we use the, the definition of conflict like this. I don't know how you grew up thinking about conflict, but this was a new definition for me and changed the way I view Ephesians 4. And it says, Nate Revere, clinical psychologist, says that conflict is the gap between what you want we're all pretty clear on that most times. Like, I know what I want, what we want, and what we're currently experiencing. There's a gap often, and that's where conflict lives in the middle. The gap between what we want and what we're currently experiencing, which means it's not always bad. You may want a really great beach body. That's what you want. You may not be experiencing that here in October. And so you know that there's going to be work in between. You've got to rip some muscles apart so they can build back better. Like there's going to be a gap between what you want now and what you're currently experiencing. And that's how we've used conflict. And Paul is saying right here, guys, there's a gap as a Gentile, as an outsider, someone who wasn't part of God's initially chosen people. As a Gentile, there's a gap right now between what you want and what the church needs and what you are currently living and experiencing right now. See, the Gentiles wanted to mix and match God's commands with their old way of living. <clears throat> Gentiles said, man, I, I'm captivated by this Jesus person, and I even want to show up to church, but I want to keep kind of thinking and living out of that the way I always have. You see the obvious problem with that, right? Is that out of our mind being transformed is then how our behavior is transformed. Some of us grew up in churches or backgrounds where it was the opposite. Fix your behavior, and then somehow your brain will change. Sometimes it works that way, but most times God transforms our minds so that our behavior starts to change. And Paul knows that. And he's writing to them specifically about that when it comes to unresolved conflict. See, a pre-Christian approach. Again, if you, if you would say, I'm a follower of Jesus, hopefully you remember what it was like to not be a follower of Jesus. You remember the kind of person you were. You remember the kind of deception that your own heart would cause. You remember the own corruption of your mind and maybe even your words and the way you treated people. Hopefully there's a noticeable change. And a pre-Christian approach to conflict is like we just talked about a few minutes ago. I get angry. I seek revenge. Maybe I become passive-aggressive. No one really knows what I want to say because I never really say what I want to say. Like, I'm just, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to shroud everything in questions and sugarcoat what I really mean in hopes that people kind of read through the lines and get it, which they never really do. I don't know about you, but it never really works for me. That's a pre-Christian approach. I don't give people the benefit of the doubt here. Say everyone's out to get me. 
and what they're saying, here's what they mean. Like we give them the intent of their words, but Paul says, you don't live that way. Because that way leads to a hardened heart. And we know what it's like to live with a hard heart. Maybe you're the victim of a divorce. And you know what it's like to see that ex. And every time you see them, it's another layer of a hard heart. Maybe you have an employer or a boss who's been unfair and unjust to you. and Maybe done some things that are unethical. And you still work for them. And every time you see them or interact or get an email from him or her, there's just another layer between you and that person. There's another layer of a hardened heart. It's almost like cement just forms around your soul against that person. Maybe it was a person in this room at one time. Maybe it's a person in your home. It's just every time you interact, because there's unresolved conflict, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. But Paul says that's not the way that Christians live. That's not the way that people who follow Jesus handle conflict. He says in verse 22, yet if you've got the scriptures, you're going to want to make sure you have this. That you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Remember, we're here. Pre-Christ approach to conflict. But remember your former way of life. And then Paul goes on to say, put that off. Literally, like, think about taking off a jacket. Maybe we're not that cold yet, but like, think, not that warm yet. But think about, like, taking off a jacket, just kind of throwing it to the side. That's the idea. That's the language Paul's using. Put off the old self. But then what does he say? It's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Here's what you then do is to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Put on the new self. Put on the garment of who Jesus is and how he is transforming you. To create it, he says, to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. If you look back to Genesis, we see that was Adam and Eve's fatal flaw. Is that when they took the apple or took the fruit from the knowledge of good and evil, their fundamental misunderstanding was that they knew better than God. That they knew better than what He had planned and designed and created them to do and how they were supposed to flourish in the garden. They thought they knew better. And a pre-Christian approach to conflict is the exact same flaw. It's like, I know the way that the, the Scriptures talk about it, but I, I prefer my way. Like, I can figure it out. I know my kid. I know my boss. I know my spouse. I don't know if I need to be made new or have like a new mind. I, I think I can figure it out. That will lead to burnout and frustration. If we handle our relationships the way we always have and don't allow Jesus to transform our relationships, we'll get the same results we've always had. The same frustrations, the same brokenness, the same patterns and cycles made new, it has to be made new in us. And that's a pre-Christian approach. Paul says, put that off. But then he says something radical. He says, put on the new self. And, and a post-Christ, the post-me surrendered and, and followed and committed to Jesus' way, a post-Christ approach to conflict is the exact opposite. I give people the benefit of the doubt. I pray for them. I love them. I care about them. Even when I don't understand, I, with every fiber of my being, I seek to understand them. I try, with God's help, to see the situation, the conflict, or even the conversation, when He does. 
and I allow my mind to be transformed. And that's essentially, there's really three elements over the next three weeks that if you do them every time you have a conflict or a difficult conversation, you and I will more than likely see resolution and the best relationship come as a result. And so element one is simple. We've already talked about it. Seek to understand. See, often we, we think about it in terms of, man, I, I can kind of piece together my own way, and maybe I'll pray about it, and maybe that'll change the situation, but often we still are frustrated and burnt out because we're approaching the way we always thought about people. But here, the scriptures remind us, and the elements of conflict resolution end up being real simple and three. The first one being seek to understand, like we said. And here's why that is. Because resolution for us, if everyone knew how to deal with conflict well and resolve every conflict, we would all do it. <laughs> you ever thought about that? Like, if we didn't need tools and, and instruction and, and a kind of word from God about how to deal with a specific conflict, we would just do it on our own. But pre-Christ and without a transformed mind, we don't know how to do that. And so understanding unlocks resolution. It's actually the will and the, and the practice of you and I seeking to understand one another, even the most difficult conversations that will ultimately unlock resolution. It's not just speaking clearly and honestly, which we'll talk about next week. It's not just resisting gossip, which we'll talk about the week after. Those things are a part of it, but they are in sequence. And the first element is seeking to understand how did they come at this situation? How are they perceiving this conflict? How did they read or understand my own words? And, and how would Jesus view this specific conflict that I'm in? I want to give you a scene. And now, this may be real in your life. This may bring up some traumatic memories for you. And I'm not saying that it's a scene that is necessarily true or has been true in my own life. Let's just pretend it wasn't. And I want to read this actual interaction with you. So a husband walks out of dressing room with new jeans on. Guys, you know what that feels like? Wife, wow, honey, those jeans make you look so much skinnier. Husband, thanks a lot. Good to know I'm a whale. Can you try to be, uh, just in case you didn't know, can you try to be more encouraging next time? Wife shoots back. That's not what I meant, but maybe you need to use that gym membership more often than husbands just dressing room door, they go home both awkward and mad. Like, maybe you've had, maybe not that exact situation, maybe it happens in your home closet too, but like, those scenes in our life are, are conflict. That's clear to us. But what if that conflict was transformed by both of them, prior to kind of shooting out words, really trying to get inside the mind of one another and seeking to understand. All of us know, seriously, and when you look at that conversation, all of us know what that feels like. All of us know what it means to be really misunderstood. See, again, if you look at this, the wife is paying kind of a compliment. In her brain, it's probably like, dang, honey, you look good. Like, you look way skinnier than normal. Like, and it's kind of a backhanded compliment, obviously. And the husband just immediately jumps to her intent. Her intent was to hurt me. Her intent was to point out a flaw that I'm not maybe as skinny as I once was or skinny as I currently want to be. And so he shoots back, thinking he knows exactly what she meant. Say, thanks a lot. Good to know I'm a will. Do you try to be more encouraging next time? Passive-aggressive. 
And then she responds, well, that's not what I meant. And then she goes the, the route you just don't go as a spouse. Like, maybe you could. Maybe you don't even know where your gym membership card is. Like, maybe you should start by finding it. Like, she just shoots right back. Conversation over conflict lost. Wasted. Not redeemed. And as you look at Paul's words, even here in Ephesians 4, he is saying again and again, and throughout the scripture, says it, that a changed mind equals a changed conflict. A changed mind equals a, a changed conflict. See, many times we jump into conflicts very similar to when a guy walks up to the NASA mission director. The, the rocket is in, and he, he gets kind of a front row seat of watching this rocket take off, and he's watching and watching and just marveling at it, and then he looks at the NASA director and says, hey, like, what's this mission for? The guy turns back and says, I got no clue. <laughs> He's just going up. Like, we just thought it'd be a good idea to launch a rocket. Like, that's often how some of us view conflict. I know the rocket needs to be up in the air, so I'm just going to kind of shoot it off and hope for the best. And I don't really know where it's headed or what the point is, but I'm just going to jump into this conversation and say what I want to say. And that never, maybe sometimes, probably never, works towards resolution. Because understanding unlocks resolution. And some of us know what that feels like. It could be, again, in our marriage. It could be in our jobs. It could be even how we perform at school or the grades we get or the colleges we want to work into and apply for. Like, it boils down to every single thing that we do. A changed mind equals a changed conflict. And understanding unlocks resolution. One of the things I love about the scripture is what I actually love about every single scripture that we study together. And as you look at Ephesians 24, I want you to read along with me and catch something that maybe as you've read this, maybe in the past, you haven't seen. Verse 24, Paul says, Be made new in the attitude of your mind, praise the Lord, and to put on, put on the new self. And what does he say next? Have you seen this before? Put on the new self, created to be like who? Seriously, who? God. Isn't it interesting that Paul is writing to a group of people very similar to us, real-life people, working jobs, having families, being stressed, having to run kids back and forth to soccer, everything that we have to do, maybe not the soccer part, but you get what I'm saying. Like, the Ephesians people are not just some, some kind of elite Christian people. They were regular people like you and I, and Paul instructs them, you were created to be like God. It wasn't arbitrary. Paul actually believed, and the Spirit of God is powerful enough to transform you so that every single time you step into a conflict, every single time you approach a difficult conversation, or every single time you think about the relationship that maybe is on the rocks, you can be like God. You can view conflict the way Jesus does. You can interact with people the way Jesus did. You can love your spouse like Jesus loves his church. You can do those things, not because you are special, but because God who has made you new loves you enough to give you the power to be like that. That is fascinating. That is challenging. That is incredible. And I want to read from Proverbs 18.2. You may be familiar with this proverb, and then I want to close. But when we ask, how does understanding a lock resolution, in Proverbs 18, 
too shaky, Pat. I'm not sure about being some bad things. Proverbs 18, 2. I will read it from here. And if you have the scriptures, I want you to write it down. In Proverbs 18, 2, if I had it memorized in the right version, I would just say it. But in NIV, this is what it says. That fools find no pleasure in understanding. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Does that ring a bell? Like, do you know somebody? Did you already think of somebody in your mind? It's like, ding, ding, ding. Like, I, maybe that's also you, but you don't need to admit that. Like, there's probably people you know. Maybe even you, or the person next to you at the very least. That we don't often delight in understanding. We prefer to air our own opinions. And when it comes to conflict, and sometimes we do that exact same thing. I would rather let the person have a piece of my mind. I'd rather let the person try to figure out what's really going on. I'd rather let the person be the instigator of resolution versus me take a step to fully understand, to see from their perspective. And here's the kicker. It may not be a justified perspective. That's not the point. The point is, have you done the work to understand and have you pursued Jesus enough to know that he could actually transform that specific conflict. I view it like this. Maybe you've seen the show This Is Us. But one of the most traumatic scenes, spoiler alert, close your ears if you haven't seen the past season or whatever, but spoiler alert, the house burns down, and Jack, who's kind of like the all-American man, someone's like, come on, I gave you a warning. Um, but as you watch the scene, that the house burns down, he's corralling the kids and bringing them out. That's kind of how I view conflict sometimes. I view conflict, maybe you identify with this, but I'm sitting in a burning house praying for God to help me resolve a conflict with someone right next to an open door. An open door for many of us is starting and seeking to understand. He's, he's like, I'm, I'm glad that you're praying about it, John, but you just need to do something. You need to practice what you're praying about. You need to actually start seeking understanding. Maybe you need to invite them for a meal and just talk about, hey, here's where I'm at with this. I don't fully understand where you're coming from. Can you, can you enlighten me? Can you give me some more information? Can you help me see the way you are seeing right now? Maybe that's an apology that just goes before a difficult conversation saying, hey, I know I didn't do this right or handle this correctly. I want a second try. You wanted to give me a second chance at this. Maybe for you it's simply uh, inviting that person to tag along with you to a lunch and just say, I don't really understand them. I label them as weird and annoying and obnoxious at work, but I'm going to take a step towards them so I can get to know them so I can really understand them. So I can have some resolution when it comes to that. And this literally reminds me of my own life. And here's why. Again, this past week, Lindsay and I, in the kitchen, she's a cooking ninja. So she's like throwing chef's knives and she's cooking and there's vegetables flying everywhere. And I kind of walk in and I'm like, hey, I know how to cook too. I said that. Guys, that's maybe a mistake with your wife like it was mine. She was like, oh really? Like, you know how to cook? I was like, yeah, Lindsay. I, uh, I made four meals this summer while you were away for work. And she was like, oh, cool. Like, you're awesome. You're basically Emerald Lagasse. Like, bam. Like, that was me in the kitchen. And I figured out how to create a Peruvian soba seca, which you probably know what that is. It's a Peruvian pasta bake. No big deal. Bought a bunch of stuff in the aisles I didn't even know existed. And I made this amazing meal. And I made it four times. Like, I just kept making that same meal. It was really, really good. I loved it. And so when she came home, again, this last week we were talking about, we 
prep all of our meals on the weekend and kind of ration them out, if you will, for lunches and dinner shop the week, which I love. Again, she's a cooking ninja. And so what happened was I shared that information. Here's John's brain. I'm just going to crack it open for you. John's brain was like, she's going to be impressed. Like, kind of like the jeans thing. She's like, dang, boy, you can cook four meals. That's amazing. Like, you couldn't cook anything but mac and cheese. Medium, like mediocre version. And so I was in my head thinking, she's going to she's gonna love this. She might even, like, kiss me on the mouth. Like, that, that may be, like, just a win. Like, we're in the kitchen. She's thinking about that. And so that's my brain. I'm like, she's going to be really, really proud of me. Like, she's going to look over and be like, my husband rocks. And here's her brain. If I could just crack it open because I know her pretty well. Her brain was four. <laughs> you cook four meals. I cook all year round. Like, you, you saying that is almost like just a slap in the face. Like, you can't really understand what it's like to cook for you, Mr. Picky, for a whole entire year. And what I wish I had done in that situation was try to think in her brain. Here's what I didn't do, think in her brain. <laughs> I immediately shot back. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I, I cooked a bunch, and I know how to make Peruvian soap a second. I know how to do all these other really cool things that you should be proud of. I know how to wash the dishes, and I know how to use a chef's knife, and all this fancy stuff. And in her brain, she's like, man, I, I wish she kind of understood and she shot back, and it probably wasn't as mean as what I said back, but all in all, we kind of both stormed out different directions, and uh, the conflict did resolve for a little bit. And I'm not proud of the way I handled that, because it's so small. Yet, if that was left unchecked for weeks, and for months, and for years, sometimes you're so mad at a person you forget why you're mad at them. And that happens all around us. That there's people that you know, maybe you've lived in that experience of saying, I wish I had just resolved it. I wish I had just tried to understand. I wish I would sought after understanding and viewed the conflict the way maybe Jesus or even the other person viewed that conflict. In closing, I want to read an excerpt from actually a guide that um, some of our team have worked on. And I got to be a part of that this summer. And this specific chapter talks a little bit about this. And I'm going to invite uh, the band to come up after this excerpt is over. And then we're going to worship. But in chapter 4 of this excerpt that you're going to get as a free kind of conflict resolution guide at the end of the series. This is what it says. See, it's easy to misunderstand, neglect, hate, or even seek to destroy something that we don't understand. My mother grew up in Neshoba County, Mississippi and remembers the painful history of segregation. Many outspoken white racists in the Jim Crow era of the United States did not derive their racist views after having meaningful conversation, meals, experiences with black people in the South. Rather, distance created distortion in their point of view. It was not just a misunderstanding of every person's identity in God but a misunderstanding and individual experiences with black people that caused one of the most embarrassing and evil eras in America's past, which lingers in the present. When we seek to understand, it brings clarity to conflict, and in the case of Jim Crow, could have eliminated many injustices. Seeking to understand is not just a nice thing. 
It's an essential thing for us to live in peace and unity together. And friends, that's God's hope for you is that every single conflict will just be full of possibility for those relationships to get better. And when you and I seek to understand, we will unlock resolution in our lives. That's God's hope for you. That's our hope for you. And so let's pray together. Do you join me?